Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. All right, well, good morning, everybody. How's everyone doing? Quietly, that's good. All right. Well, hopefully we can wake you up. I've got a few questions to kick things off this morning. Uh, the first question is actually a very uh, low bar question, uh, one that I'm hoping that all of you actually know the answer to. Um, and that question is, how many of you know your name? Hands up if you know your name. All right, there's a few that are a bit hesitant there. That's slightly concerning. Uh, second question is a little bit more tricky for you. How many of you know the meaning of your name? There's a good number of hands there. There's a bit of a mix. Not everybody, but there's a good number of hands there. Uh, one of the things that I've uh, discovered is that you know, I've, I've got four daughters, and so my wife and I have had the, the challenge and the quite daunting uh, job of naming our four children. Uh, and one of the things that we discovered was, was that the, the meaning of a name was just as important to us as the name itself. And so, uh, for example, my oldest daughter, her name is Eloise. And Eloise, uh, uh, the meaning of it is uh, famous warrior of God. I like that, so we picked Eloise. My second daughter, her name is Evelyn, uh, and depending on where you uh, look, where you kind of do your research, it'll either tell you that her name means uh, beautiful bird or living one. Two very different definitions, but I like them both, so we went with Evelyn. So uh, just for a bit of fun, this week I did some research uh, to find out uh, the meaning of some of your names. So uh, this morning I'm going to uh, read out some of your names uh, and then uh, kind of give you some of the meanings. Uh, now just a, as a caveat, um, I did my research, but as I said, depending on where you look, you see different answers. So if you know the meaning of your name and it's different to what I say, don't panic, it's okay, you're probably right. Um, but to, to begin with, uh, many of you know my wife, Katrina, she's our worship pastor here. Uh, her name means pure. And actually, she has shared her testimony up here before. And, and so you, if you've heard her testimony, you'll know that that is such an accurate name, a God-given name for her. And we also have Stephen. So we have a few Stevens here. Um, Stephen means wreath or crown. Uh, and actually speaks of, uh, of fame. It speaks of uh, nobility and, and power. And then we also have uh, Lauren or Laura. Actually, these, these, both of these names have the same origins and the same meaning. It means laurel. Don't know if you knew that. Um, but that actually is, is quite a significant word. This is actually from uh, the Latin word. Um, and to, to the Romans, laurels was a symbol of... Um, it was actually how they made the, the garlands for those who were victorious in the games. And so laurel actually speaks of victory. Then we have uh, Matthew. Uh, we have a few Matthews in our church. And Matthew means gift of God. I mean, what a great name. You can tell people that you are the gift of God. And then, uh, all right, I'm going to tee up Don now. So Don, this is your cue that when I say what, uh, what I'm about to say, your only good response is a very loud amen, okay? Because Celia means heavenly. Amen. Yes, there we go. I think we can all agree after Wednesday, tasting all the treats, we can say that they were heavenly, and so it is a fitting name for Celia, uh, who prepared many of them. 
Um, but then, of course, my favourite name, Ian. When I first looked up this name, you can imagine how pleased I was when I read that the name Ian means uh, gracious, God's gracious gift. So I can tell the world that I am God's gracious gift. And Laura is uh, with child at the minute. She's about to have a baby. And I keep trying to convince them that Ian is a great name. And so after hearing that definition, surely, surely I've convinced. However, I did do some further research and found out that the more accurate translation is God is gracious. And so, you know, you read that and it could take a, a very different meaning. Um, but the reality is, for most of us day to day, the meaning of a name is of very little consequence to us. You know, it's not really something that we think that much about. It's not really uh, something that we put that much weight into. Um, and we just kind of use it as a way to identify from one person to another. But in biblical times, names actually were really significant, and the meaning of them were really important. Because the meaning spoke of uh, not just a way of identifying one person from another, but it actually told you something about who that person was and how you could relate to them. But it wasn't just a cultural thing. It wasn't just the thing that was done in society. Names were actually incredibly important to God. See, if you actually look through the scriptures, the meanings of names hold a, whole, a lot of weight to God. And we actually see that he was in the habit of naming and renaming people all throughout Scripture based on the things that he was calling and speaking into them. So you'll know uh, perhaps a few of these examples. Uh, there's a man named Abram in the Bible. Uh, who Abram means uh, famous father, or uh, it means um, me, exalted father. God changed his name to Abraham, which means father of many. And God promised to Abraham that he would have descendants that were as many as the stars. And then we also see in the New Testament, Jesus speaks to Simon, and he actually changes his name, calls him Peter. Peter means rock. And then immediately after this, he says, and you are the rock in which I will build my church upon. So names have huge significance and meaning, especially when that name is given by God. Because to God, a name isn't just a name. A name reveals a person's identity and how we can relate to them. So you can imagine, when it comes to naming the Messiah, that that name is going to be really important, right? And it's actually the name that was given to the Messiah that is the sign that we're going to be looking at today as we continue our series called Signs of the Saviour. And this series is basically looking at different signs that were given uh, prior to the birth of Jesus. Uh, where the, and these signs tell us not just the manner in which he came into the earth, but are also telling us uh, something about who he is and how we can relate to God today. And so today we're looking at uh, the, a sign that was given around 650 years before Jesus was born. It's found in Isaiah chapter 7:14. It says this. All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now this is a pretty familiar passage 
to a lot of people. Many of you will have heard this passage before. Uh, it is, again, it's read this time of year, every year. We hear it a lot. But how many of us actually know the context in which this was written? The show of hands, how many of you actually know what is going on in Israel when this is written? There's maybe one or two hands that went up there. I've, I have to be honest, I was exactly the same. I, I've read this passage. I've read the context around it. And I, for the life of me, could not have told you a week ago what this was all about. But as I was preparing this message, uh, so, so it really stood out to me what this is all about. And actually, the context is given to us throughout this chapter in the surrounding verses. And so in the beginning of chapter 7, it says this. When Ahaz son of Jotham, and grandson of Uzziah, was king of Judea. King Rezin of Syria, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, set out to attack Jerusalem. However, they were unable to carry out their plan. So just to give you a little bit of background as to what is happening uh, and the background of Israel, so Israel uh, was a nation that was formed of 12 tribes. These 12 tribes were actually uh, named after the sons of a man called Jacob, who actually God changed his name to Israel, and uh, that became the nation of Israel. And there were these 12 tribes uh, that were named after his children. Um, However, after some time, there was a civil war within Israel, and actually the nation became divided. Ten of the tribes uh, made up the nation of Israel, and two of the tribes made up the nation of Judah. And here we see that Judah, uh, each, each of these nations had their own king, and, and here we see that Judah has a new king in the name of King Ahaz. And King Ahaz finds himself in uh, quite a difficult situation. You see, the king of Israel and one of, the, one of his enemies, the, the king of Assyria, has decided to team up to actually try and take Judah to overcome it and put their own king in, in his place. And so as you can imagine, Judah is terrified. You can imagine that Israel's army combined with Syria's is a significantly greater force than what Judah has to offer. And so the verse goes on to say this. It says, The news had come to the royal court of Judah. Syria is allied with Israel against us. So the hearts of the king and his people trembled with fear, like trees shaking in a storm. I love that visual, like trees shaking in a storm. It kind of looks a bit like ridiculous, to be honest. But uh, this, this idea that there is so much fear, so much concern about the situation. And I think if we all think about our own lives, we can all think of a situation, a time where we felt like we were facing something that was way bigger than ourselves, that felt like an impossible situation. And we can relate to the fear that he's talking about here. You know, I remember uh, one example for me was uh, when I was finishing my degree at university. Like many of you who have done a degree, uh, I had to do a dissertation uh, to finish. And uh, part of my dissertation meant that I had to go into a school to do questionnaires with the kids to, to gather research uh, for my paper. Um, but 
in order to do this, um, I needed a DBS check. In order to, to do my degree, I needed a DBS check. Uh, if you don't know what that is, it's essentially a background check to make sure that I am all legal, I'm not a criminal, uh, I don't have any reason why I can't be working with children or vulnerable people. Um, but the problem was, mine had expired. Now, this wasn't in itself a particularly big deal. I actually got in contact with the school um, to tell them about it, and they said that it would be actually it would be fine because the teacher would be with me the whole time. I wouldn't be on my own uh, with the children. And then I ran this past my supervisor, who said the same thing. He said, "Go ahead, it will be fine." So I did. Everything went fine, no problems. Got my questionnaires done and carried on with my my research and uh, carried on with my dissertation. And then about a week before I go to uh, before the deadline for my dissertation, I get an email from the director of some department or other in the university. And this email is a very aggressive email. This guy is very, very unhappy that I had gone ahead and done this research without getting this DBS check done and making sure that everything was up to date. And some emails get exchanged backwards and forwards. And uh, the, the long story short is I end up having to attend a meeting with the director and my supervisor on the day that my dissertation is due to be handed in. And this meeting is to determine whether I could hand my dissertation in or be expelled from university. And you can imagine how I felt in that moment, right? Three years of working towards this degree, the last thing I had to do, and I may not be able to complete. This, it, this makes me think of what it must have been like for Judah and for King Ahaz, the fear that he was experiencing. And so God actually sends in the prophet Isaiah, and it says this. It says, Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Take your son, Shear Jashub, and go out to meet King Ahaz. You will find him at the end of the aqueduct that feeds water into the upper pool, near the road leading to the field where cloth is washed. Tell him to stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burned-out embers, King Rezin of Syria and Pekah, son of Ramalia. Yes, the kings of Syria and Israel are plotting against him, saying, we will attack Judah and capture it for ourselves. Then we, will be, then we will install the son of Tobiel as Judah's king. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. This invasion will never happen. It will never take place. For Syria is no stronger than its capital, Damascus. And Damascus is no stronger than its king, Rezin. As for Israel, within 60 year, 65 years, it will be crushed and completely destroyed. Israel is no stronger than its capital, Samaria. And Samaria is no stronger than its capital, Pekah, son of Ramalia. Unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. So they're in this place of fear and God sends in the prophet Isaiah to say, don't be afraid. There's no need to be afraid. I am with you. I am in the midst of your situation, and I will not let destruction come upon you. 
I will not let them overtake you and replace you. There's one condition. Have faith. Have faith in me. But then he actually goes on uh, to offer King Ahaz a sign as a way to prove that he will be faithful. And King Ahaz actually says, no, 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 I won't test God in that way. So God decides, well, I'll give you a sign anyway. I will pick the sign. And this is where we see this promise, the sign of the Messiah to come, where it says in verse 14, all right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So God gives him a sign. But as we know, this sign wouldn't be fulfilled for a further 650 years. And now, uh, Bible scholars have spent a lot of time debating and discussing what that was all about, why that happened, and, and what this sign was really uh, pointing to, and, and various different things. And we don't have time to, to dive into that in detail today. But the important thing for you to know is that what God is trying to say to Ahaz is, Ahaz, you are not alone. I am the God who is with you, and I am going to fight for you. I am involved, I am, I am stepping into your situation, and I want to move on your behalf if you will just trust me and let me do it. But the problem is, King Ahaz is actually a pretty evil king. You know, he actually um, abandoned God. And he, he didn't understand, even though he heard the name Emmanuel, God with us, he didn't understand the character of Emmanuel, God with us. And so instead of trusting in God, Ahaz actually decides to form his own plan. He takes control and he takes matters into his own hands. He, he decides that he's going to form an alliance with his enemy, Assyria, so that he can then be the stronger one and overcome Israel. And the thing is, to begin with, it works. It actually worked for him. But eventually, it would actually lead to Israel's or to Judah's downfall. Ahaz didn't understand truly who God was. And so he took matters into his own hands. And it led to their downfall. And we fast forward 650 years. And Joseph, the man Joseph, finds out that his wife, or his wife-to-be, is pregnant. And it says this, This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph her fiancé, was a good man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. So Joseph finds out that his wife is pregnant, and this is a big deal in their culture. You know, this would have brought a lot of shame 
uh, and actually a lot of um, segregation for them. And so uh, Joseph, you know, he's trying to figure out what to do. How do I respond to this? And he thinks, uh, well, you know, I, I'll, I, I'm going to have to break the engagement. And this is a big deal for Mary because uh, this breaking the engagement, given that she is with child outside of wedlock, would have meant that she would have had no support. You know, she would have actually uh, had no form, no source of income. The only way that she could have got income was actually through uh, marriage to a husband which was completely off the cards now because nobody would be willing to marry a woman who uh, got pregnant outside of wedlock. Her only hope would have been that she had rich uh, parents who were willing to continue to support her, which was, again, very unlikely because of the amount of shame that was brought on her family. But it's not just Mary that this has potential consequences for. If Joseph uh, chose to actually marry Mary, then that had the potential to bring shame and uh, on him and bring reputation damage to his family. You see, he could have been rejected by his own family for making that decision. And so he's stuck. He's in this difficult situation, not sure what to do, but he's a good man. And so he decides to break off the engagement, but instead of doing it publicly, which would have brought all this shame on Mary, he decides to do it quietly in private so that she can save at least some dignity and and hopefully avoid some of the shame that's coming her way. But as he's considering this, the angel, God sends the angel to speak to Joseph. He says, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And, and, sorry, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the angel appears to Joseph and says to, says to him, Joseph, do not be afraid to marry Mary. She has not been unfaithful to you. The child that is within her was put there by the Holy Spirit, because he is to be the one who is going to come and take away the world's sin, and you are going to be his father. The Holy Spirit, or the angel comes to bring comfort to Joseph and to encourage him to actually not abandon Mary, but to marry her. Now, some of you who are paying close attention, you may have noticed that there's actually a different name given here to the Messiah. He isn't called Emmanuel, he's called Jesus. Why is that? Why is it that he's called Jesus and not Emmanuel? Well, it's important to understand that actually throughout Scripture, there are a lot of names that are attributed to the Messiah. And Jesus was actually his given name. That was the name that he would be referred to as uh, throughout his life. And that's a fitting name for Jesus, because, uh, for the Messiah, because uh, Jesus comes from the Hebrew word Yeshua. And Yeshua literally means God is salvation. As we know, that is why Jesus came, to die on the cross, to take the penalty for our sins. But there are also all these other names that are attributed to Jesus, such as Emmanuel. And actually, in a couple of chapters later, we have another famous Christmas passage where the Messiah is referred to as uh, um, 
the Prince of Peace. He's referred to as uh, Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor. And so there's all these names that are attributed to Jesus that are not necessarily names that are ref- he would be referred to as, but names that just explain who he is. They're kind of like nicknames, how uh, many of us uh, growing up may have earned a nickname based on uh, something about our personality or the way we look or something that we did once. We gain these nicknames that tell a little, uh, give a, an insight into a story about ourselves. And so that's what these names are like, and that's what Emmanuel is. It's not because Jesus or, the, or that the Messiah was going to be called Emmanuel, but it would actually he would be referred to as Emmanuel because the name Emmanuel speaks of who Jesus is and how we can relate to him. The name Emmanuel speaks of who Jesus is and how we can relate to him. See, he didn't need to be called it because he completely embodied it. It's who he was. So Joseph has a choice to make. He has to decide... Do I take control of this like King Ahaz? Or do I trust in God? You see, I think for many of us, that's what we tend to do. Is When things really start to go wrong, when we start to face these impossible situations, we have a tendency to step in and try and figure it out ourselves, try and take control and solve things our own way. That's what King Ahaz does, and that's what uh, Joseph has to decide whether he's going to do or whether he's going to trust in who God is. See, the question that Joseph is facing, and it's the question that we have to wrestle with in our own situations in life, is this. Is God really with me? And if he is, how should this impact my life? Is God really with me? Is he with me in what I'm facing right now? Is he here? Is he involved? And if he is, what does that mean for me in the way that I respond? What does that mean that I have to do in light of this? This is the question that I found myself asking uh, when it came to this meeting about my dissertation. So I arrive at the meeting a little bit early uh, on the day that I'm supposed to be handing my dissertation in, and I'd spent the entire walk there rehearsing the defense that I was going to give to show that I was innocent and that I could continue to uh, hand in my dissertation. But I arrived a bit early, and I, I, I sit on, a, on some steps just in, in the hallway outside the meeting room, and I begin to pray. And as I'm praying, I just said to God, is there anything that I need to know about this meeting? Is there anything that I need to do? Almost immediately, I felt like God said, don't defend yourself. Just say sorry, and I will take care of the rest. And I heard this, and I'll be honest, I thought this was terrible advice. (laughs) Those of you who know my personality, I'm not one to shy away from a fight. I'm not necessarily the one that will go and pick a fight, but if someone wants to pick one with me, I generally am quite confrontational at times. And, um, and so I was ready to go in and defend myself to the death uh, and point out how he was being really unfair. Um, but God was saying, don't do that. Just trust in me. 
take the low road, repent, and I will step in. So I get called into this meeting, um, and my, this director is sat there, and, and my supervisor is sat there, and uh, it's already not looking like a great start because the supervisor had been in there for several minutes at this point um, and clearly had been given quite a serious roasting himself because he was literally sweating um, as I step in. So it's not a good sign for me. It's not looking good. And then the meeting begins, and for what was probably about 20 minutes, I just get faced with a bombardment of statements and accusations. Accusations about who I could be and uh, why I haven't had my DBS check done and, and all these different things. And this just goes on and on. And uh, there's points where I start to get angry about some of the things that he said. And I remember what God said outside. Don't defend yourself. Just apologize and I will take care of the rest. And in those moments, actually, I, just, I felt his peace. Where I should have been freaking out, I actually felt his peace and I felt his presence in that room. So after about 20 minutes of this, uh, this bombardment, he finally stops and he says, do you have anything to say in your defense? And I took a deep breath and I said, no, sir. I can accept when I've done something wrong and I'm happy to do that now. I'm sorry. That was it. That was all I said. And you could tell that it wasn't the response that he was expecting because immediately he looked down and he grabbed his papers and he began to shuffle them and he says, oh, uh, uh, that's very noble of you. And then he looked up again and he said, okay, you can go hand your dissertation in. That was it. End of meeting. Done. I literally walked out of that meeting, went to the room below that where I was having that meeting, handed my dissertation in and finished my degree. I was done. See, God showed to me in that situation that he is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. This is the question that Jesus himself had to answer. See, for, for, Jesus, for Joseph, uh, marrying Mary could still have potentially meant that he would have felt, faced the shame and the rejection in society for being uh, wedded to someone who was uh, pregnant outside of wedlock. But unlike King Ahaz, Joseph didn't just know the name Emmanuel, he knew the person Emmanuel. He knew the character of Emmanuel. And so he chose to put his faith in who Jesus was. And he decides that he will go ahead with it, that he will marry Mary. The passage goes on to say this. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Joseph chose to put his trust in who God was. Emmanuel is not just a nice name that we give to God. 
Emmanuel is who he is. It's in his very nature. And it's how he chose to respond to our sin in the world. That he chose to literally come and be Emmanuel, God with us, God in amongst us, to live with us, to live as we lived, to, uh, to face the same temptations that we faced, to suffer in the same way that we, fu- we suffer, and ultimately to pay the price for our sins by dying on a cross. He is Emmanuel, God with us. But some of you may be wondering, like, okay, so Jesus came into the earth, he was God with us, but he's no longer here right now, so how is it that he is still Emmanuel, God with us? Well, yes, Jesus died, but he also rose again. And after he rose again from the dead, uh, he's with his disciples one last time. Uh, And one of the last things that he says to his disciples is this. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus ascended to be with the Father in heaven, but his promise is that he is still with us. He is still Emmanuel, God with us. How is that possible? Well, that is why he sent his Holy Spirit to us. He sent his Holy Spirit so that through him we could continue to have a relationship and access with God. See, just before Jesus went to die on the cross, uh, he was again with his disciples, uh, and he says this in John 14. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. So Jesus is saying to them, yes, I am going away to the Father, but I am going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. And he says, you know him because he is with you now. He's basically saying that he and the Holy Spirit are one, that they are uh, united so that if they had experienced Jesus, if they've been with Jesus, then they'd also been with the Holy Spirit. But then he says, but later... They are going to be, the Holy Spirit is going to be in you. You see, if you have given your life to Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. And it's through the Holy Spirit that we are able to continue to have access to Jesus. And it's through the Holy Spirit that Jesus is able to continue to step into our world, to start moving in our situations and our circumstances. That is who Jesus is. Emmanuel is not just a nice name. It's his character. It's his nature. It's in his nature to step into our world. It's in his nature to step in and begin to move 
on our behalf. That is his desire for each and every one of us. That he would be Emmanuel, God with us in our situations. Uh, I don't know what all of you are going through in your life right now. Maybe uh, for you, you're just experiencing the everyday stresses of life, the decisions that need to be made. But maybe for some of you, there's actually some more deeper things going on. Maybe there's some bigger things that you're facing. It could be that you're experiencing financial trouble. It could be that you're experiencing some significant health issues. Or maybe you're wrestling with anxiety or fear. Maybe you've been experiencing nightmares. Or perhaps, actually, what you've, been, uh, you've been through some really traumatic experiences and you're having to work through the reality of some of that. It could be that you're experiencing stressful situations in your workplace and it just feels overwhelming. Or maybe there's uh, family issues that have been going on and it just feels out of your control. Whatever it is, life presents so many challenges. The question that we have to face is do we really believe that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us? Do you truly believe that Jesus is with you in the midst of your situation? See, I think for some of you this morning, you just needed a reminder that God is with you. See, I don't think that we ever really uh, take much time to, to stop and think about that reality, that in everything that we do, God is with us in the midst of it. And so for some of you, maybe it's just you need the reminder this morning that he is with you so that you can actually stop doing everything on your own and start involving him in some of the day-to-day decisions that you're doing. But as I said, for many of us, uh, there's people here who I believe are going through something much bigger than this. And you need to know this reality in a much deeper way. So perhaps this morning, what you need is uh, just to experience his presence, to know his presence with you. Perhaps what you're needing to hear is what he has to say about your situation this morning. Perhaps what you're needing is just for him to come and bring healing. And so that's what we want to take some time to let God do this morning. I want to take some time to pray. And as I pray, I just want to just uh, listen to what God is saying. Invite him to come and speak and just speak to us about what's going on. So would you join with me as we pray together? Jesus, firstly, we just thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, I thank you that you are God with us, that you are present in this room. Thank you that you are present in our situations, our circumstances, the things that we're facing in life. I thank you that this isn't just a nice word, but it is who you are. It is in your nature to step in to our world. To step in and move in our lives. So God, I just pray that you would 
reveal yourself to every one of us here, that you are Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, for those who are experiencing just a broken heart right now, just uh, sadness over uh, different things that they've experienced, Lord, I pray that they would know your nearness. Lord, I just pray that you would show them your presence, that they would experience it and feel it in a tangible way. Lord, I pray for those who feel like they're facing a situation that is way bigger than themselves. Lord, I pray that they would know the reality that there is a God who is so much bigger than their problems and that you are with them, fighting for them. Lord, would you show them what that means, how they need to respond in light of that truth? What is it that they need to do? What are the steps that they need to take? Lord, I pray that you would give every one of us the faith to truly trust that you are there and that you are faithful, that you are good and that you will come through for us. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.